0: Hey, good morning! How are you guys doing today? So, uh, you may not have noticed me around a couple weeks ago, because uh, I was actually gone for two weekends... I went to England. Some of you guys know that, especially if you're Instagram followers. You may have seen some strategic pictures of me in certain spaces in uh, England and London. And uh, it just happened to work out perfectly. My wife has a cousin who married an English pilot, and they live just outside of London. And we had all this miles from our credit card, you know, that kind of thing. And so we traded in our miles, and we were able to afford to go on this trip. And we took Charlotte with us, and I mean, it was amazing. And I, I honestly would recommend it to anybody to go to London uh, you know, you see Big Ben, the London Eye, that huge Ferris wheel thing. I mean, it fits like 20 people per car, by the way. It's not like you're in these little, this little seat. I mean, it's amazing the views that you get. Uh, we went to the Tower Castle. We saw St. Uh, Paul's. We took that the, the bus tour that everybody takes. And we actually went to Hillsong London also uh, on the weekend. That was awesome. Yeah, we had a great time. And uh, I, I brought a picture back, a couple pictures, just so you can see. Oh, they think they're right here. Uh, this guy right here is Graham. That's the pilot. And uh, He loved Charlotte. Like, he fell in love with her, and he started calling her Charlie. So, you know, you ever see that Charlie bit me? You know, it's like, that's all I could think of every time he's calling Charlie, you know, Charlie. And uh, he was so proud to carry it because he was getting looks. He was walking, like, eight feet in front of us because he would get all the attention with Charlotte, like, strapped to the front of him. And uh, so we had a great time. Um, I also got a picture of Charlotte uh, waiting for uh, His Royal Highness. I think it's right here. Next. We're at a picnic. There she was. All right, it's, it is just a shameless attempt to show off my daughter. It's true. <laughs> but that was, we were having a picnic in England, and uh, we dressed her up, and we had a great time. Uh, but what I really want to tell you about is our return flight home. And uh, it was an interesting time because we went, uh, you go to Heathrow Airport. By the way, they have Krispy Kreme at Heathrow Airport. I don't know if you guys know this. Yeah, and Carol and I saw it, and we were like, Bear! and uh, they have flavors they don't have here. So we, like, got a bunch of donuts and, uh, and we were eating those. But, you know, when you're traveling with a baby... You know we've got the donuts and we they allow you to take the stroller and the the cart you know the seat with you on the plane so we've got that and we've got a baby bag and they allow you to take that and then I've got my uh, computer bag Carol's got her purse and then another gift bag and then we have our our sweatshirts and the blanket and we've got the uh, toys and everything and so what happens is you go up to the the TSA right you got to go through there and you have to have everything go through the 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 uh, scanner and I had like six of these bins, at least six, and then a bag and this, that, and the other thing. And we're struggling, we're grabbing stuff. And you know what it's like, right? They make you take off half your clothes, right? Your shoes and your belt and your watch and your wallet. And you're like trying to think of all where all these items are when you get to the other side. And you're like grabbing everything up, trying to dress yourself at the same time while you're grabbing everything. We put everything together and, you know, Carol's just grabbing stuff and she's got stuff in her hands and I'm trying to get stuff. And, and she actually had this bracelet. It was called a. Pandora bracelet you know what they're you're familiar with that she got it just recently but she only had one charm on it this has a bunch of them she would have just one of those and you take them off you buy new charms you ladies know exactly what i'm talking about half the husbands do too i know and so she gets this little bracelet she she took off because they say take off your jewelry right and she hands it to charlotte and we're walking through the Heathrow Airport once you get past TSA by the way this is amazing it's a glorious airport you suddenly right away you enter the duty free shop and it looks like a mall literally i brought a picture of it again these are all this my last picture though for today look at see these people on the left their bags, those are their carry-on bags, and you wind through, it's like being in Macy's, and you know, people are trying to sell you stuff all through it, and you're walking, walking, it's like literally going through a complete mall, that's how long it is, and we get to the other side, and it kind of breaks out into this food court, and then all of a sudden, Carol screams to me, and she's like, oh no, I've lost the bracelet, well, actually, a bead on the bracelet, and she had the bracelet, and the little bead fell off, because I guess Charlotte was playing with it, and i and she's like, we have to go back, and I'm looking you know, like that, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, baby, I'm thinking in my mind, just let it go. Just let it go. But you know how it is when your wife gets a little upset, right? And you just, you know whatever you're going to say is just not going to work out. So you're just like, okay, okay, honey, you know? And I start looking around, and we're walking through all of this, looking at the, 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 the janitors that are sweeping up. Hey, did you see something in your pile? And we wind our way all the way back to the TSA. And we get there, and uh, she's like, John, which is the row that we were in? I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, it was that one right there. She walks over to the TSA. And at the same time that she arrives, there's a TSA attendant. He goes, whose bag is this right here? And Carol looks up. It's the baby's bag. And we're like, can you imagine... Being on an eight and a half hour flight and forgetting the baby's bag, right? Like no diapers, no toys, no like binky. We call it the binky, the pacifier, you know, none of that. Like, how are we going to survive that? And, uh, you know, Carol's like starts praising God. She goes, you know, God, God made me lose the bead so that we wouldn't forget the bag. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right. Okay, baby, good. And <laughs> we got the bag, So we saddle up again and we head back. And, you know, while you're there, though, they're so, like, uh, intrusive, aren't they, those TSA agents? And, like, they pulled the bag off the line. That's why we missed it. And I'm like, they, if they pulled the bag, they should have told me something. Like, how did I know? And, they, and, the, and think of how long it just sat there before they even got to the bag. So they start looking through the bag, and they go, we pulled it off because you had lotion, and you had some little bottles in there, and you didn't take them out in the bag and show us so we can inspect them. So they start looking through it, you know, and they're like, oh, so your baby has eczema, huh? You know, it's like, oh, and you have hemorrhoids? No, it's like, <laughs> come on, right? It's like, people, your whole life is like on display at TSA. You know, I hate the body scanners. Do you guys write the body scanners? Before we were pregnant, I used to tell Carol, we're not going through the body scanners. And she's like, yeah, but they're safe. I don't care. I don't want any misfiring thing happening. And we have something go wrong with our baby because we're trying to have a baby. So we would avoid them. I still don't like them. What we do is we look at the line and we try to find the one because they don't all have that scanner, you know. And if you pick the right one, you don't have to go through that scanner. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. You're up like this, right? And it, what? Your clothes are transparent, right? Somebody's looking at all that. I don't want my stuff on display. I didn't even want to put a, a picture up here today because I didn't want you guys to be embarrassed. I didn't even think it would be appropriate. And it's like we don't like to be exposed, do we? We don't like to be transparent. And that's what we're going to talk about today, a life of transparency you know, a transparent person is usually characterized by somebody who is open and honest with no deceit. And though transparency in that way sounds like a good thing, the truth is we all tend to move away from it. We tend to avoid it because we all have uh, some secrets in life or we have some shortcomings and things that we don't other, want other people to know about because we're all imperfect beings, right? And we learned long ago that total transparency had its consequences, right? Everyone here, you, you were a kid. Everyone here, I think, 100% of us, right? We were a kid at one point in our life, and you could be a kid right now sitting in here. And you've, I'm gonna bet that 100% of us have experienced this conversation. One of your parents approached you and asked, and they always say it in this weird tone, right? Do you have something you wanna tell me? Right? You heard it, Right? That, we've heard it, and we're like, uh, you're thinking. You're, you're just trying to think what's going on. And I'm sure they're doing it because they want to give you the opportunity to be honest, right? Like, you have something to tell me? You know, if you tell me now, they're probably thinking, I'll let you off the hook, right? And you know, They're giving us the opportunity to do the right thing. But we all know it was a trap, don't we? Right? It's a trap. You're not going to say anything. And any time my parents asked me that question, there was a list of things going through my head, you know? And I just, this was my response all the time. Um... I don't think so. (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't think so. Because one, there was a list of things in my head that I I could be in trouble for. And two, I didn't want to give away wrong information. Because all I'm going to do is give them more information, you know, more ammunition. Think about it, right? If I told them this, but it was really that, now there's two things I'm going to be in trouble for. So I just chose to keep my mouth shut. And so most of us have learned early on that exposure and transparency usually lead to something bad. Like consequences for something that we've done, perhaps. Or embarrassment. Because maybe the teacher asked a question in a class, and you thought you knew the answer, and you raised your hand, and then you answered, but you looked really stupid, and everybody started making fun of you, and maybe you got really humiliated, so you're like, man, I don't think I want to be that transparent anymore, or maybe we feel like transparency is going to lead to judgment, I mean, how many times in your head have you thought this, I wonder what they would think of me if they knew I was thinking that, right, about that person, Right. Because we don't want to say it, but people like we're worried they're going to judge us for what we're going to do. Or maybe it was disappointment, you know, because vulnerability requires a lot of trust. And so maybe we, we kind of got it all together and we said, I'm going to step out and I'm going to say some things to somebody, uh, be honest about our feelings. And then they didn't respond the way you were hoping they were going to respond. And then you just felt crushed and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to do that again. And we've all had experience where transparency didn't work out for us, because maybe it revealed too much, or maybe it left us feeling naked and exposed. And I think through life uh, has given us reasons to believe that transparency is something to avoid. But Jesus, the perfect man, the man who had come to show us who the Father was, well, he was transparent. In, in the Gospel of John, the writer in the first book, the very first chapter, he starts talking about Jesus, and he says that he was filled with grace and truth. With grace and truth. And Jesus' life was basically an open book. It was on display for everybody. And he modeled it. So there must be something in it for us. And I believe that a lack of transparency could be the source of many of our problems today. You know, we experience difficulty with meaningful relationships sometimes. Because we've been hurt. We built out those walls to protect ourselves. And now we're in a place where we just really don't know how to put those walls back down. You've been there, right? We can't, we're having a difficult time being transparent. Or maybe you desire personal growth, growth, but we don't seem to be progressing. And like, why aren't we really moving forward? And it could be that the lack of honesty about ourselves, lack of honesty to even ourselves, keeps us from truly admitting our faults. And because we won't look at our faults, we won't recognize them, we can't even begin to deal with them. And so we're kind of like wondering, why am I not changing? But we're like kind of carrying some stuff because we're refusing to be transparent. We're in this series called Songs of the Kingdom, and it's about the book of Psalms. And if you want to get ahead, I'm, we're, going to, we're going to read 139, Psalm 139. And um, the Psalms were just ancient songs. The, the writers, like, just wrote about things that were going on in their lives. They, they sang about the daily things that happened. I mean, they were gritty, these Psalms. They were realistic. So the, the, the psalmists, the writers, I mean, they, they talked about anything that was in their heart, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And uh, they were just basically a statement about their lives. And songs that we sing today, right? The songs we hear on the radio are often basically statements about our own lives. And, and in this series, we've been asking ourselves the question, what do we want the song of our life to be? What do we want the song of our life? What do we want it to characterize in us? And if we could boil it down to just a few essentials, what would we include? And I, I believe that transparency is one of those essentials that we need to have in our lives. Because through transparency, we would be able to experience true freedom. I mean, think about it. No more false fronts, no more lies that we have to remember, no more double lives. And we would experience true and significant change in our lives if we could grasp hold of transparency. So we're going to be reading from Psalm 139. It was written by King David. And for the most part, he's speaking about God's attributes And they're simplistic in their revelation about God. So I'm going to say a few things in the beginning and you guys are going to go, yeah, yeah, we probably know that, we know that. But that's okay, bear with me. And these characteristics are essential for the quest that we have when it comes to transparency. But then at the end, we're going to find something that David says, a statement that he says that I think is key for all of us when it comes to transparency in our lives. So we're going to start right now. We're going to read in verse 1. Here we go. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. In your outline, you can pull it out right now. If you haven't already, take out your pen. The first fill-in right there after reading this is that God hears my thoughts. God hears my thoughts. I mean, have you ever been in one of those situations where you were just like, like talking, you're in the middle of a conversation and you're kind of have something else, like another like thought about that conversation in your head and you're thinking it, but you don't think it's appropriate. And then all of a sudden you're wondering if you had just said it, right? Have you, this is what fear that I have, or I'm gonna to confess to you guys, this wasn't part of my message, but sometimes I fear that if I've walked off that I've accidentally swore when I was on stage. Like, you know, it's like, did I say a swear when I was on stage? Did I say something inappropriate when I was there? And there's these times where we think something in our head and we're thinking, did I actually, did I say that? Right? Did that come out of my mouth or did I just think it? Right? And we're afraid to ask the person that we're in conversation with. Like, I wouldn't say, hey, guys, did I just swear up here? Right? We're, We're afraid because now you know what I'm really thinking. So I can't do that. But it doesn't matter when it comes to God, because either way, he already knows. That's what he's telling us here. The verse speaks of God's omniscience. That means a fancy word for all knowing. He knows everything. And David writes that even before he even thought, the thought leaves his tongue. God already knows it. And uh, God knows what he's going to say even before he says it. In the verse there, it says that you understand my thoughts afar off. And it doesn't imply that God is somewhere billions of years, billions of light years across the universe and we're way over here. And so from this big distance, God knows our thoughts. No, what it's really implying there is when he says, I know your thoughts from afar off is I know them before you even begin to think them. I know him as you're thinking him you know he says you know what's on my tongue and if it doesn't come out of my mouth he still knows what you're thinking and I, and David was probably writing cuz he's a, he's a writer of this song he's writing this song right here the psalm and he's probably thinking back to a time when this prophet Samuel came to his house to visit his father's house the house of Jesse You see, God had rejected this king Saul and he said, I'm going to anoint a new one. I'm sending you, Samuel, to go anoint a new king. And he goes to the house of Jesse and there in Jesse's house, Jesse gets all his sons together and he sends the first one. His name is Eliab and he's this tall, good looking guy. And and Samuel thinks, it's written in the the story, he thinks this is the one. This is the one. And then God says, no, this is not the one. Don't be deceived by his appearance because God doesn't see as man sees. God looks at the inner part man looks at the outer part so he tells him this and, and then he says so he, then the rest of the sons come through the seven sons go through and they all look awesome but no none of them are right and so Samuel turns and he says you know hey uh Jesse is this it? This is this all you got because God says no and he goes well there's this one other one you know the young one the little runt the, the guy we don't like talk to as much that cleans up after all his brothers he's out in the field taking care of the sheep and he's like, well, call him in here. And he calls him in, and immediately when he sees him, God's like, this is the guy. Because God was looking in his heart. And David experienced that. David, you know, heard the story. comes back, and none of my brothers, all these guys, none of them, but you picked me. Because you look inside my heart. You know everything. You know my thoughts. You know my actions. So David wouldn't have forgotten that. So he writes about it. But he also goes on in the psalm, and we're going to pick it up in 7. It says, where can I go from your spirit? ...knows my thoughts, he sees my actions. Number two, he sees my actions. God sees our actions. There's no place where you can go where God cannot see... ...because he is everywhere. He's in the good places and he's in the bad places. And I love the way he poetically says this... ...that if I take the wings of the morning... ...and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea... ...he's kind of using this poetic picture of... ...being as fast as the speed of light. Because if you've ever gone to the beach... ...on Miami Beach or Fort Lauderdale Beach... ...or any beach in between... And you get there at sunrise, what happens? The light rays shoot across, right? The ocean. If I take the wings of the morning and at the speed of light, wham, as it lights up the, the morning, if I go that fast, even then I can't outrun you. That's how fast you are. And he's using this picture to say, that's how amazing it is that God sees my actions. And maybe when he's writing this one, maybe he was writing this one, he's thinking about a time when another prophet came to visit him. Now he's king and he's sitting on the throne. And this prophet Nathaniel comes to talk to him and he says, hey, I want to tell you a story, David. There's a story of two guys. One's a rich guy, one's a poor guy. And the rich guy, he's got all these flocks. He's got everything at his disposal and servants and everything. But there's a poor guy that lives next to him. and The poor guy has only one lamb, one lamb. And he loves that lamb. The lamb eats from his bowl. He sleeps with him at night. It's their family pet. It's so awesome. And he says, well, the rich guy had a visitor, but instead of, Like killing one of his own lambs for dinner and and serving that. He goes next door. He grabs the guy's one and only lamb and he serves him for dinner to his friend. And David's like, outraged. What are you talking about? How can this be? He said, that man should surely die. In fact, he should pay fourfold. What happened? In return, fourfold. What was going on there? And then Nathan looks at him and he says, David, that man is you. He says, listen, do you remember this? That you killed another man. You had him killed named Uriah the Hittite. And he took his wife, who you had slept with, and got her pregnant. Her name was Bathsheba. Do you remember that? And now she's living in your house with you as your wife. And David's heart was crushed. But it's like, man, God, when David had done it, David had done it in secrecy. He sent a secret note to his general to make sure Uriah was going to die. No one else really knew the whole story that was going on. He had even tried to orchestrate it so that Uriah would sleep with his wife and not know that it was David that got her pregnant. But that didn't work out. That's why he had to kill her. And he did all this in secret, thinking nobody knows. And a year later, it's like a year later that Nathaniel shows up. Bob's going to talk about that in another week, in another uh, psalm. So he'll tell you more of the story. But he shows up, and he's thinking nobody knows. And then Nathan comes up and says, God knows. God saw what you did. And so when he's writing this, maybe this was like one of the, the harder parts to write. You know, the one that like pulls on your heartstrings. He's going, wow, this is super realistic to me. See? God knows our heart. But he also goes on. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I made it in secret. And skillfully, well, I'm sorry, 13. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, then they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You see, God knows our thoughts. He sees our actions, but he also knows my future. He knows my future. He knows your future. Listen, David notes that God knows his beginning and his end. His birth and on into his future. He says, listen, my days are written in a book. You know my days even before there are none of them. You know the whole thing. And I think this is something that David is very aware of that God knows the future. Back it up for a second. David gets anointed as king. But Saul remains king for many years. In fact, Saul finds out about it because Samuel had to actually come in secret to anoint David because he feared Saul. And Saul wants David dead and he chases him. And a lot of these psalms are about the persecution and the running from the king that's trying to kill him. And it's not until 22 years later, from the time that he was anointed, does he actually become king. Now, if I was David, during all that time, I might be thinking, is this really going to happen? I mean, think about 22 years. Think about what that means. Think back 22 years of your life. Where were you? That was so long ago. And David endured that whole time. And he saw a stark reality, a stark example that God knows the future. I've anointed you king. I know you're going to be king. You're going to be king. So you may be saying to yourself, I already know these things about God. I know he knows my thoughts. I know he sees my actions. I know he knows the future. I mean, almost everybody's concept about God involves those things, right? We believe those things about God. And we, and we find them written throughout the Bible. And may, maybe today you just saw that where they're at. And there's more, many more places. But David has a reason for reminding us about these characteristics, these attributes of God. And so the moment we think we can hide, right? then we will remember that God always knows it. Like, I'm going to kind of remind you right now, as we get into this idea of trans, uh, transparency, that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what's going on, it's kind of spooky, right? That's the title of the message. Somebody's watching you. You know, we to know that God knows everything. But David's kind of reminding us of that. Why? Because then we might as well be transparent, right? Before God, if he knows it anyway, why can't we be? But also there's something else that we might easily miss is that God knows ourselves better than we do. You know, my wife, she had the baby. And if, you're, if you've been a pregnant lady in here, you've probably experienced the same thing. It's a phenomenon that happens that they start, their hair starts falling out after they have the baby. And like she's like, like in the morning, she gets a little thing of it, wraps it up into like a little ball, you know. And I'm like, oh, baby, you're, it doesn't look like she's losing her hair, but she's seeing it fall out. Well, when we were in England, we, we have two sinks at our house, but when we were in England, we have one sink, and we are sharing that. And she comes to me, like, about halfway through, and she goes, Man, you are shed a lot. I'm like, yeah, I guess. Hair falls out, right? Hair falls out of our heads every day. Every one of us, no matter who we are. And, you know, I think for some of us, that's a little bit more challenging, depending on where we are follically. Like, we're going to either be aware of that more or less. But Jesus said this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows. Even every hair on your head is counted. God's aware, just as the sparrow, when it falls to the ground, because he knows how many are, are flying around, he says, I know even the ones that fall off. And I know the ones that fall off. And I still keep count of the ones that are still on your head. Right? God says, I know that more than you. And even those that maybe don't have a lot of hair, do you really know how much is left? Could you count them? But God does. God knows them. That's how much he knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And in light of this, in light of the fact that God knows us better than ourselves, <clears throat> David comes up with a very profound and extremely important statement here. One that I think is the key to transparency. You know, David's looking at all this and he's saying, God knows me, he knows where I am, he knows me better than myself, he knows my future, he knows everything about me. So why don't I go to him? Let's go to verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there are any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, God, if you know everything anyway and you know better than me, search me and show me. Search me and show me. Show me what I don't even know about myself. And now why would we want to do that? Why would we want that? Because this is the way that God is going to give us opportunity. You see, I've listed three other things that are in your outline uh, that a transparent heart does for you and me. And uh, these three these three things are going to help us get to the place that we desire. They're going to help us achieve things that we want in our lives. And so the first one is a transparent heart will bring true life change. Bring true life change. Now, when I was younger, I had been moved around a little bit in my life from guardians to guardians. And it came to a point in time where I felt almost like they didn't really, I was like a burden. And so I wanted to feel like I was independent and that I didn't need anybody. So that happened to me when I was young. So as I was growing up through my life in my high school and college years, I didn't want to admit to anybody that I didn't have an answer. Because if I didn't have an answer, then it showed that I was weak or it showed that I needed somebody and I didn't want that to happen. So I always came up with an answer. And I remember after college sometimes... We were living in Boston... And I was over to a friend's house... And there was a group of people... It was kind of like a party... And it was just when the new grills came out... You know the grills that had... Uh, they were not charcoal anymore... But they had those lava rocks... Now we have the little baffles and everything... They had the lava rocks... And I had seen my uncle use them all the time... And uh, so they fired it up... And they had, we had shrimp like skewers... And all this other stuff... And chicken... And they're like... Well how do you use that thing? And I'm like... Because they asked me... I had to have an answer... So I'm like... "Well," You let the lava rocks get all hot and then you turn it off and you put the stuff on there. So they go ahead and do that. They get them all hot. Yeah, that should be good. And they put them on there and then we're walk, you know, we're back in. Everybody's hanging out talking and then they're like, these aren't cooking. And they're like, you ever see like raw shrimp and raw chicken? Like just barely that like pulling them off. Are we ready to eat these? I'm like, no way. And I was like, in that moment, I was exposed for who I was. That I really didn't know an answer, but I was making up answers as I went. And they were like, we don't have dinner, and this is disgusting. And they were very gracious to me by not, like, saying, you're an idiot. And I was like, thank you. Because I told them how to use a grill that I didn't know how to use. You know, it wasn't until, though, really in that moment, I think, was one of the greatest, like, telltale things where I just saw myself exposed in light of who I was. It was like God, like, shining a light into my heart, and he's like, this is who you really are. And it was when I saw that moment that then I was able to start changing. It was then that I was saying, you know what? I don't need to have every answer. I don't need to be something that I'm not. But it was until that time, because I was just denying it the whole time. Just couldn't see it in my life. And though other people probably saw it. They maybe saw it for years. They just never told me. And you know how that is, you know? So often we try to clean up the outside and make the outside appear right, if I can just look a certain way, say certain things, pretend everything is okay, make my family look perfect, then that's where I want to be. And I think religion teaches us that to some degree. Religious tells us we have to be perfect. There's a standard that you have to meet. And if you don't meet it, then something's wrong with you. And the problem is most of those standards, though, are impossible even for the people that created them. Like Jesus in this one section of Scripture in Matthew is like he has all these woes against the Pharisees and the lawmakers, and he starts, and this is one of them he says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. Blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Jesus is making this bold statement. Listen, it's not about what you see on the outside, what you appear, but it's about the inside. If you can clean the inside, if you can make that inside clean, then the outside is going to be clean. And and we probably all know that person in your life. Maybe when I was telling my little story and I was saying, you know, probably other people knew it, but I didn't know it. There's somebody in your life, right? that you sometimes feel like you're walking on eggshells on a certain topic or a certain thing, right? you like, I can't push this area or I can't do that because then they just blow up. They get ballistic and it's like, you know, they're one of those people maybe that's like, if you're not for me, you're against me and that's it, you know, and you're not going to talk to them. It's like, we know these people. We know them and we're like thinking in our heads, if you could just see inside what your problem is, (laughs) what the issue is, if you could just see This for a moment as I see it, maybe you would change, but like they keep going and they go. You see, we can see it sometimes in other people, but we rarely see the need for transparency in our own lives, right? Because we see the other people, we don't often see us, and there's sometimes we need that help. You know, most of us want change in our lives. But that don't happen without a realistic view of who we really are. Like, how are we gonna change? How are we gonna change something that we don't know needs to be changed? We have to see that. It has to be clear to us. Much of the time, our failure to change comes from not facing our own shortcomings. So that's why David, when he's crying out here at the end of the psalm, looking at all that, and he says, Lord, search my heart and show me. Search my heart and show me. No one wants to be, uh, sorry. When we say that to God, when we say, search my heart and show me, it forces us to look inward. It actually forces us to see what God is trying to point out. We see our weaknesses. We might evaluate our perspective. And that's when true change in our life begins. You see, a lot of times we've all wanted to change, but we just won't be honest about ourselves and what really needs to change to make it happen. And when David cries out to, that, to God about that, he wants God to come in. He wants God to to be pleased with him, and he wants God to help him make that change. And so for each of us, we may not even know what it is. In fact, you might be sitting here right now and not even have a clue what it is that God wants to change or point out to you. And there's others of you, you do know there's something wrong, but you don't know the reason why. And God wants to reveal that to you and me. It starts here. This is the key, crying out to God. The second thing that a transparent heart will do for us Is uh, It will influence others. The opposite of transparency is hypocrisy, right? The definition of hypocrisy is the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that one does not hold or possess. Falseness. When I read that last area of scripture, when Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. How many of you wanted to be a Pharisee? Not just because of the woe, right? We don't really always want to be the Pharisees because... What happens is they're always the bad guys in the New Testament, aren't they? They're like the bad guys. They always show up and they're like always causing trouble. These are the guys, though, that maybe maybe they weren't even all that bad. I mean, they studied the scriptures. They went to church. They prayed to God. They gave away their alms and their gifts and their tithes. But the problem was they were hypocrites. And nobody is inspired by a hypocrite. Hypocrites influence will only last as long until the hypocrisy is revealed, right? Because at first, they have influence. But eventually, when you see it, it stops. And we contrast that maybe with the attitude of Jesus. The passage from Scripture is from... This passage that we're going to read is from the very mouths of the Pharisees. Listen to this. Teacher, they said, we know you are honest. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God faithfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not. Those people that were against Jesus actually had respect for him. Jesus actually had an influence on these guys. They're looking on with like, we know you're honest. We know you tell the truth. And so we're going to use it to try to trap you. But at least they knew it. Because they could see the transparency in Jesus' life. Transparency is not always about being perfect. You know, I don't know how many times it's happened to me at work. And not this work at the church, or probably it's happening at the work at church, but you, ever, you guys probably been there, you at work, and something's frustrating you, or somebody's doing something wrong. There was this one place I was working, and we both had workstations, and uh, I, I would leave, and they would still keep working. And then they would start working on my workstation. But, like, the stuff I was working on needed to remain clean. And, and, I did, and I And they were like, well, you better cover it up. And I'm like, well, he's working right on my station. And I started to talk to, like, the guy who was managing him, and I'm saying, listen, you, can you just have this guy stop? And he wouldn't stop. I'd come in the next day. I'm like, look, it's still a mess. And I start, and I blew my top. And I like, like, just yelled at this manager guy. And the manager guy was like very calm and gracious to me. And I walked away and I said, and I, you, you know, you have those things where you're just like, that, that didn't feel right. You know, I, I don't think I did that right. And I had to come back and I said, you know, listen, I apologize. And I didn't mention anything about the situation. I just simply said, you know what? I acted in a way that I don't think God wants me to act. And I don't think Jesus would be Proud of that. And so I just came back to apologize and said, I'm sorry. And you know, over the course of my life, it's been moments like that that I've done, and I've done many of those, I'm afraid to say, that have actually made me more influential with those people. Instead of me trying to be perfect and come up with an excuse while I was right and why I was justified and doing what I did or anything like that, instead coming before them broken and just saying, you know what, I was wrong, was the most influential thing I could have done. The person who always appears to be perfect becomes unapproachable. I mean, the person that says, like, "I've never do anything wrong, I don't even want to talk to that person after a while, because like I just looking in light of that, I'm like, "I can't do it." Listen, it's the person that's not perfect. That's the one that you and I find influential. It's the one who's struggling in the relationship with God, but doesn't stop pursuing them. That's the one I want to learn from. That's the person that I want to talk to. It's that person that keeps moving forward despite, that's willing to be vulnerable, to become human, approachable, relatable. You know, we have small groups, and in a couple of weeks, you guys are going to be able to sign up for them in the fall, so I want you guys to look for that. But, man, when you get into a good group, and you get a good leader, and that leader is just open and honest about their struggles with God, about the things that they're going through, about their failures, man, those are the best groups. Those are the groups where the conversation gets led deeper and deeper and people start sharing from their hearts and people start learning from other people. If we all went to a group and everyone just said, the answer is Jesus every time, just pray about it. The answer is Jesus. That's what I do. We're going to walk away and go, that's good. I know the answer is Jesus, but that's not helping me right now. I need to see that someone's gone through what I've gone through and they came out the other side and they trusted God and something great happened. Listen, the third thing that uh, a transparent heart will do is it will create authentic relationships. When I first got married, uh, there was a phrase that I dreaded hearing. And like in the first six months, and I always tell people this, especially in marital counseling when they come, uh, that the first six months were most difficult because we were learning about each other. And my wife had this phrase. uh, She would say, honey, we have to talk. Now, yeah, some of you are already feeling the same thing I was feeling. Because of a previous relationship I had, any time she said, we have to talk, those were fighting words. Right? There was going to be a fight. So instinctively, like Pavlov's dogs, you know, it was like that shock. Boom. I just went into like defensive mode every time she said it. So she said, we have to talk. And I'd start talking and I'd get upset and we, and I'd blow off steam and we'd be going and going on, going, on, going. And she'd be like kind of patient with me and everything. And then at the end, she's like, what did you want to say? And she goes, I just wanted to know what we want to eat for dinner tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. All right, okay. And it took a few of those, to be honest, it took a few of those for me to not jump off the handle whenever she said, we have to talk. Now she says we have to talk, and half the time I'm like, oh, it's gonna be something good, you know? But it wasn't that way for a while. Here's what had to happen. I had to get to know her and she had to get to know me. I had to realize that that's the way, the way she communicates is not the way everyone else communicates, but only until I got past that was I able to get past the barrier in our relationship and get to know her more deeply. And if you're married, then you understand the importance of transparency right now. In order to get a pure, genuine relationship, you must be able to know each other, the good and the bad. And that relationship will only get as deep as we're willing to go with it. For some here today, you may have gotten stuck when it comes to relationship. I mean, maybe you were exposed at one point, right? Early on, I think, especially when it comes to like, you know, love, when we're, we're in high school, we're so willing to just throw it all out there. You know, everybody's probably seen the, the, the guy that walks into the classroom with the flowers for some girl, right? <laughs> just trying to make this statement about love and he just throws it all out there. You know, or, or some other thing, the girl calls and calls or does these things and just throws it all out there, but then they got rejected and they got hurt somehow. And so the, what happens is when that happens, we build up a wall. Like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. That's what we say. And then we then like maybe we were in a relationship for a couple years and we really put it on the line because now it's a little bit farther. It's not just one little couple of little romantic acts, but it's like I really invested time and energy and effort. And now, man, I'm not going to do that again. You know, I when I grew up in Massachusetts, I knew quite a few women that hated men. I mean, they're like, I hate men, you know, and I'm like, I always feel like that's hurting me. I am a man. You know, it's like, why do you hate me? It's like, I know you're just kind of throwing that out there. But like, what happened that this woman should hate men? We all know something bad happened in the past. And and, and because now that wall is there, and that wall might be there in your life right now, and you might be in a relationship and still have walls up because of previous things that have happened. And then and, and we can't move forward in that relationship. You see, transparency has to happen. And if you want to have a serious shot at a relationship, a marriage, then you've got to become transparent. It's your only hope. You may get that person to the altar. You may put a ring on their finger. And you may take them home. But it's only a matter of time before that's going to dissolve if we're not willing to open up and get transparent. And listen, sometimes God needs to bring a lot of healing into your life in order to do that. I'm not saying you just do it with a switch. But David is saying, listen, if you say, search me, O God, show me. Show me what I need to know. If you do that, Lord, then I can make the steps forward. That's where it begins. That's the genesis of the change that we need in our lives is to say, God, will you show me? Will you search me? Maybe you've been struggling with your walk with God today. And there's like an area that you're not ready to give over to him. We're just like, even though he knows it and we go, yeah, I know he knows it, but somehow I'm able to cover it. You know, I got the closet somewhere in my inside. Jesus said to this to a woman who was like, I, I want to know how to worship you. And, and Jesus says, the time is coming. Indeed, it's now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. The father is looking for those who will worship him that way. At one point in our lives, we desire to know God, then we must invite him in. If we desire to know him, we have to be open and transparent. And I know it's not easy to do. Everyone who's here who's invited him in knows it's not easy to do. You know, maybe today we need to take that verse. It's your memory verse. And maybe it's something that we don't just memorize. And maybe it's something that we need to pray. And I want to let you know that it's safe and it's all right to do that. You see, when you look in these verses here... You know, that first section that we read, that God knows everything on the end. He says, you've hedged me in behind and before me. You laid your hand on me. And he's like, man, that's too wonderful for me. You know everything about me. And yet, God, you still want to protect me. You know the things that I thought, that I think. And there's some like not so good ones. And yet still you want to hedge me in. Still you want to protect me. I mean, I read this Psalm. It's one of my favorite Psalms. And I don't know why. Every time I read it, I feel good about it. It makes me feel good. It gives me hope. In the second section, he's like, God, you, anywhere I go, you know, you've seen me go to the places I shouldn't have been going. You've seen me open that door and walk in. You've seen me when I should be here, I'm over there. And yet, he says, look at the darkness, I'll make the darkness like light about you. He's like, the darkness, even if it's going to crush me, he uses the word crush me. And he says, but you are going to make it like light. And in fact, you're going to hold my hand through that darkness. David says, man, you know the bad things. I mean, and if he was thinking right there about Bathsheba and and Nathan, if he's thinking about that right there, man, what a relief. What a joy to know that God, you know, even though I blew it, it it's probably as bad as anybody can blow it on this planet. I mean, it's like, there's a couple sins and these are like the top ones. And if you can be there for me, even though you know, and then he goes on, and he says, in my future, I'm just going to read it again because it's one of my favorite verses. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, then they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Someone estimated that there are 10 to the 25th power. I don't even know how many, 25 zeros after 10, right? That many grains of sand, that's an estimate in the world. Well, you know, if God at that rate, if he thought, of you a billion times every minute he would be thinking about you for several thousand years. I mean how many thoughts is God thinking that are good toward you and I what he wants for your future and for my future I'm going to tell you another story about David and this guy Nathan' There's this point in his life and David's like he's living in his house and it's like, oh I have this house of cedar. And I love this house and it's doing great and I'm just thinking that God your your tabernacle your, your um, you know your your, your ark of testimony is is in a tent somewhere and I want to build you a house so he goes, Nathan come in here I want to know if God will do this and Nathan hears it and he says do all that's in your heart to do go and do it and then Nathan leaves the king's presence and he goes to his his own house and that night as he sleeps God speaks to him and he says you know Samuel you, you got to go I'm um, sorry Nathan got to go back and you got to go tell David that I can't let him build my house because he's a man of blood and he's a man of war. And so bring him that news, but I also want you to tell him instead of him building me a house, I'm going to build him a house. I'm going to build him a legacy that never ends. And like in that moment, when David heard that news, he could have been thinking, you know, God, you're, you're so right. You see all my flaws. You see everything. And yet God wanted to give him this amazing legacy. He wants to build him a house. And God wants to do the same thing for you today. <clears throat> but it's going to start with us getting real with God. And I don't know. Maybe everyone here is real with God. And you know what? Maybe no one's here is real with God. Or maybe there's just a few of you. I don't know. But I know that this message is true. That we have to become real with God. What I'm going to invite you guys, the band's going to come out right now. I'm going to invite you guys to come down here. What we're going to do is pray that that prayer that David prayed. to Search me, oh God. And maybe you need that in your life right now because you've got a messed up relationship or you've got things going wrong. You want change in your life and nothing's changing and you've been doing the same thing year after year and you're just like, God, what am I doing? Then let's get real with God for a moment. If that's you, I want you to invite you right down, down right now. Just get up. These guys are going to play in a minute. While Come on down to the front of the stage. And we're just going to pray this prayer to God. Help me. Help me become real. If that's you today, come on down. The guys are going to start playing right now.